But this morning we are uh, we're continuing our study in the old or the New Testament book of Romans, and uh, it's a letter that was intended to inspire um, very pure and very genuine. Uh, life-changing faith. And if you've been with us the past few weeks, then you know that this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Rome, it really challenges our sensibilities around religion, around faith, and around what we experience. Um, There are notions that we have around religion. There are presuppositions that we have because of our past experiences about how things are supposed to work. And this letter um, consistently challenges those ideas, including the subject that we're looking at today. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in the first five verses of chapter 5 today. And uh, let me just also remind you, a few weeks ago I mentioned that, um, that I had signed up this last year to do an Ironman in November. So this coming November I'm doing a full Ironman in Arizona. I don't know why, but uh, I actually do know why. Um, I've done a lot of like endurance related things throughout my life, um, but I had really drifted out of shape the last couple of years. And so I needed something to motivate me, and I realized, like, human beings are really motivated by two things, fear and humiliation, right? And, uh, and so I picked something I was afraid of, which is a really big race, and something that I could easily be humiliated in. And so um, I, have been, I have been motivated. I was motivated in January to get out and run in the rain and to ride my bike in the rain and, and, uh, and to run in 100-degree days because I can't miss a training workout, and so I've got to fit them in wherever I can. But a race like this, it sort of demands that you do the work, no matter the conditions. It doesn't matter what the weather is, you have to do the training for it. Which means there are days when it's miserable. (laughs) And I'll just admit this, there are days of misery. And I wonder, like, why in the world did I ever agree to do this? And, uh, but there's also something that happens to me in these moments. And, And it's something that a few people, maybe some of you in the room, you'll understand this. It's something that happens to endurance athletes. Something that amidst the misery and amidst the pain and amidst the cold or amidst the heat, there are these experiences of this sort of strange euphoria that you have in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the difficulty. And and I know um, this, for some of you, sounds incredibly demented, and so you're probably losing, like, is he really okay in his head? But it's true. It's, um, there's a part of me that actually has experienced so much euphoria that I'll look forward to the suffering. In fact, yesterday, I had a long run. I ran, like, 13 and a half miles yesterday. At mile nine, my body just started saying, why are you doing this? Started asking those questions, not verbally, it was just telling me, knock it off. You should probably go home and sit on the couch. Unbelievably, when I got home and I looked at my statistics, my fastest next three miles were the miles that I ran after my body was starting to shut down. And it was because I started experiencing this euphoria, this thing of like, some people call it a runner's high, some people call it other things, some people call it crazy. But once you've suffered a bit, You start to realize that when you get on the other side of this, there are gains. You realize that there's good in the suffering. And so in the world of endurance sports, suffering is actually considered a special place. Like when you get to the suffering, it's like, okay, that's what I was looking for. And and it turns out that's one of the few times that suffering is considered a positive thing. With one exception. The Bible And it's not just a once or twice kind of thing. There is a theme in the Bible of suffering being presented as a positive experience. And then in a few places, like the one we're going to look at today in Romans 5, 
It's not just positive. We're actually told to rejoice in the middle of our suffering. And so I want us to look together at this. I want to begin in verse 1 and and just start to unpack what Paul is getting at with this. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through, whom we, him, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let me just pause here and say, this week, in my own personal reading, and my own journaling, I was camped out on these first two verses. Like, I meditated on these. I was like, man, peace with God, that sounds really good. And access to grace in which we stand, that sounds really great too. So grace and peace, I need those things, right? So these first couple of verses, they're really appealing to me. And I kept saying, man, I want to preach this weekend on grace and peace and all of these different things. And I would keep reading these verses, and I was like, I don't like this next part. I like this first part. Because you keep going and it says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. (laughs) I read that and I go, really? Since when? (laughs) Since when do you and I rejoice in our sufferings? Other than like that rainy day on my bike or that tough run yesterday, this isn't something that I've really welcomed in my life, much less rejoice. Rejoice in suffering. Do me a favor. Look sometime at a man or a woman whose spouse has just been diagnosed with a terminal illness and tell them to rejoice in their suffering. Can I make a suggestion if you're going to do that? Learn how to block a punch, right? Go to a memorial service. Look at the living and tell them to rejoice in their suffering. And some of you know this story, and I've shared it before, that about 10 years ago, I nearly lost my oldest daughter. Um, She spent eight days in the ICU, and probably some of the darkest days of my life. And, And here's the interesting thing about this. I would have to go back to the hospital where I nearly lost her. People get sick, babies get born, people want me to come pray, and so I would have to go back to this hospital And and the interesting thing, there was this real major design flaw at this particular hospital and this ICU. And the waiting room for the pediatric ICU is actually a hallway that connects two wings of the hospital. And so literally, in order for me to go from the parking garage to go visit people, I would have to walk past a place where I spent eight days just on my hands and knees pleading with God to spare my daughter. And the first time I went back, I started to enter that space and panic just set in. I started to freeze and I thought, this... This, this isn't real, like I'm stronger than this. And I literally froze in that space. I looked at the faces of the people sitting there mourning what was taking place behind the walls behind them. And I, I was just, I was captured in that moment. These people sitting here. Losing a child, and there's somebody walking through fumbling for their keys. There's somebody on their cell phone. There's somebody carrying balloons to a loved one that just had a, a child. There, They sit there suffering, and when I walked through there, I couldn't even look at them. And I think about Paul saying, rejoice in suffering. People say things that don't help. You ever notice this? Um, People say things like, this too shall pass. Anytime someone's speaking old English to you, there's trouble, right? (laughs) 
you're using the word shall. I don't think I like the word shall, right? This, this too shall pass. Or people say things like, I know how you feel. Well, do you really know how I feel? Have you really experienced this? Or people saying things like, pain has a way of making you stronger. Well, how much stronger do you want to be? Because I'm about to cause you some pain for saying that to me, right? That's kind of how I think. Rejoice in suffering. About that same time I was walking through those circumstances with my daughter, I had met a, a friend who was in the same months or same quarter of the year. I met a friend for coffee one day, really good, long-time friend, worship leader. And, uh, and we were sitting down, and he just said to me, he said, I feel like something big is about to happen in my life. There's something about to change, and I can't put my finger on it, but I just know something's about to take place. Within that next week, he was in the hospital, and he had an undiagnosable illness started this journey that went on for another decade. He was just mysteriously, he would see every specialist. He was in constant pain. He was incapacitated. It stripped away everything that he was capable of doing, and he was suffering. I remember uh, just his wife would send these emails out week after week of just telling us the highs and the lows and what was taking place and asking us to pray. And I, I would sit with him. I would go to his house, and I would listen to him as he described not just the pain, but the frustration, the angst, the loneliness of what he was walking through. He was miserable. And, and he never got fully diagnosed. He never really got better. He never really got worse. It was just sort of unresolved. And then when the pandemic was shutting the world down, I remember going to Phoenix to pick up my daughter from college and bring her back home. And I was in a parking lot of a grocery store and I got a call from his wife saying he was gone. No warning, no symptoms, just gone. And we've all had things, right? We've all had things that don't get fixed. We've all had things that don't get resolved. We've all had to live in this space where we don't have the answers. Like some, some couples don't reconcile. Some friends never say, I'm sorry. Um, some business partners, they don't bring the money back. Some illnesses, they don't go away. And suffering and being human it turns out they go hand in hand. When you look at James, the brother of Jesus, he was writing in James 1, he said, consider it joy, again, this rejoicing, but consider it joy when you encounter trials. He didn't say if you happen to encounter trials. He said when you encounter trials, when you encounter them. Now, a lot of really smart people have spent time just theologically and practically and philosophically attempting to answer the question of why we suffer. Why do we suffer and how could God allow it and all those sorts of things. And, um, and, and that's an interesting question, but it's a question for another day. Because the question that I'm interested in is this. When you're suffering, what now? That's the practical question. What now? Like, let's just begin with it happened. And it's messy. And it's there. And it's unresolved. What now? What now? Because that's the human experience. It isn't if we're going to suffer, it's when we suffer, and when we suffer, well then what do you do in that moment? And that's where Paul is in Romans. Suffering is real. So let's not talk about the why, let's talk about the what now. And Paul says something in these verses, in verse 3, that's really comforting. He actually doesn't say something that I find very comforting. Comforting. Verse 3, let me read it again. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that your sufferings 
won't feel like sufferings. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, when you're suffering and you're a person of faith, the suffering just goes away. He doesn't say that, right? He uses this amazing word to describe how we feel in those moments. It's the word suffering. It feels like suffering. There's no hidden meaning. It feels like it. When you are suffering, you're suffering. And it doesn't matter why you're suffering. It doesn't matter what's taking place. It aches. It hurts. It's hard. It is suffering. And some of us are going to suffer because of things that have happened to us. Some of us are going to suffer because of things that haven't yet happened to us. Some of us suffer because of something that somebody else did to us. Some of us suffer because of things we've done to ourselves. The point is, we all suffer. We all have moments when we go, this hurts and this aches. And we all know what it's like to feel like there's something's wrong in this scenario. Paul does not say that we rejoice in this suffering because this suffering doesn't feel like suffering. He says we rejoice because there's something in the suffering that we know. There's something that we know. In the middle of this pain, in the middle of this ache, in the middle of this mess, there is something that we can sink our minds into. There's this beautiful poetic progression to what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, He says what we know, and what we know is that our sufferings produce something. There's a product on the other side. There's something different waiting for us. Listen again to verse 3. Not only that, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So remember at the beginning I said Paul's words would challenge our sensibilities as they relate to faith. Here's where our sensibilities get challenged, I think. Most of us in the room Maybe not most of us. I'd just say a lot of us in the room. One of the driving factors for us being people of faith, our motivation is to eliminate suffering. We, we, we lean into faith to make life smoother. We want faith to take the bumps out of the road. Now, we might read the scripture and say, well, no, 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 Brad, I don't really, I don't really agree with you saying that about me. I don't really believe that. But, but in practicality, we do. We have ideas about how things are supposed to go. We have these presuppositions. This is about life. And when I'm a person of faith, life should go this way. We have assumptions based on the context that we live in. So let me just give you an example of this. If I invited you to go fishing, said, hey, we're going to go fishing next Wednesday, and uh, you'd make some assumptions immediately about what you would need to bring, right? Um, you, would, you would show up, and you'd probably have fishing poles, and you would have... Uh, maybe your boat, maybe you would have tackle boxes, you would have all sorts of different things, because you would have a picture in your head when I said, we're going fishing, this is what fishing with Brad is going to look like, and so you'd grab all your gear and you'd come with me. Now, how many of you know what noodling is? Anyone know what noodling is? Okay, a couple of people. Of course Mark knows what noodling is. Yes, you've probably done it before, Mark, knowing you. This is, um, this is done by men in cut-off jean shorts and tank tops, no poles, no nets, very little common sense, and a pair of heavy-duty gloves. Um, so let me just give you a picture of somebody noodling. Noodling is where you go into a cut bank of a river, and you reach your hand into the mouth of a giant fish, let it grab on, and pull it out, and then wrestle it into submission. That's what noodling is. So when I tell you that we're going fishing, you immediately create a set of assumptions, don't you? 
But if I hand you a pair of cutoffs and a plane ticket to Oklahoma, in that moment, you're like, I don't think this is a fishing trip like any other fishing trip. Like, here's your gloves, here's your cutoffs, and here's a plane ticket. We're going to the south. You're going to think, this might not be the kind of fishing I've done before, right? Because things are supposed to happen a certain way. That's the way we think about our life. We have a game plan. We lay it out. This is the way the dominoes are supposed to fall. Life is supposed to go like this. And then we suffer. We suffer. And all of a sudden, the tomorrow that we were planning isn't there anymore. She leaves, or he tells the truth, or the doctor calls, whatever it is, and it's over. And as much as we say we don't believe that our faith is supposed to take these things away, our words in the middle of those moments speak volumes about what we hold in our hearts. On that day, we say things like, I never imagined that this would be me. Why? Are you not human? We say things like, I can't believe that this is happening. Why? Are you an exception? Why do we say those things? We say those things because our faith was supposed to eliminate suffering. And not only do we discover that it doesn't, now what we see is that when you have faith, Suffering actually produces something worthwhile, something worth rejoicing over. Paul tells us we rejoice because of our faith. Our faith doesn't eliminate it, but our faith gives us a reason to rejoice in the middle of suffering because as hard as this is for you and I to understand, the combination of your faith and your suffering produces something. Suffering, when you have faith, produces endurance, and endurance, he says, produces character, and character produces hope. So you ask the question, well, then how does suffering produce in endurance? How does it do this? Well, endurance is the idea that we can go the distance, right? We can last. We can go the distance. Well, how does suffering actually do that? Well, have you ever suffered with somebody? Have you ever suffered with someone, like men in battle together? junior hires at camp together. <laughs> uh, people in a cancer ward together. When you suffer with someone, you're able to endure. What helps is finding out you're not alone in this. You're not alone. Can I tell you all the times I found myself climbing a mountain or on a long bike ride or doing something and it was the reality that someone was with me that allowed me to suffer through that. It helps you endure. That's where our faith makes such a significant difference. What's the symbol of our faith? The symbol of our faith is a cross, right? It's a cross, a, a symbol of God's sacrifice. And yes, it's that, but it's also a symbol of God being present in our suffering. God's suffering with us. Some of our first questions in the middle of our suffering, we'll often direct them towards God, and we'll say things like, if you only knew, and God says, well, I have known. I, I know exactly where you're at. Or we say, well, if you had, then God says, well, I did those things. If you've ever, and God says, I've been there, I've done that, I've done all those things. I'm the God who has suffered with you. And so the cross is this continual reminder of God saying, I know how you feel. And in that moment... It leads to endurance. We can go the distance because we have a God who says, I have been there with you and I am with you in this. We believe in the God who suffered 
And because of that, we can endure. So suffering produces endurance. He's in it with us. And endurance, Paul says, leads to character. I don't know if you... Um, I don't know if you ever pick up on this, but we have a funny way of greeting people in this culture. This is not true of all cultures, um, but in the West, we do this thing where you walk up to somebody and you say, how you doing? Instead of hello, we just say, how you doing? And they say, good. And they, how about you? Me too. Good. Okay, great. Um, how's the family? Good. That's all the things, right? You, and what are you doing these days? Staying busy. How about you? Staying busy too. We just have all these road answers. You ever notice this? And you're not really asking the question, right? You really don't want to know. It's just this weird greeting that we do. And then we suffer, and we can't do it anymore. We can't go through the motions. I'm going to be really transparent with you guys just for a moment. Um, I, I'm always transparent with you, but I want to be transparent about something personal. The past couple of years have been really rough on my profession. Um, pandemics, politics, polarization, it has done very real damage to the church of Jesus, specifically in the coastal regions of our nation. There has been mass turnover in pastoral ministry. Um, so many of my colleagues and friends have thrown in the towel. They've stepped down, they've resigned, they've gone to find other work. I can't even begin to count all the friends that have quit their jobs as pastors. Um, for me personally, the societal complexities were on top of a transition to a new church after being someplace for 10 years, coming here at the beginning of all of that. And... I'll just say that it was a recipe for hardship for me. And last summer, about this time, I hit a wall. Pretty significant wall. It wasn't good. I took a couple of weeks off and just started taking stock of how I'd been leading my life the last 10 years and what it was going to take to lead myself and this church well in the years to come. And I realized in that process that I needed to back away from a few things. I needed to back away from any extracurricular meetings, speaking activities, and I began resigning from all of those things. I didn't go to any gatherings where there were other pastors. I just stayed here the last year, and I've been pastoring our church. That's what I just decided to do. And so I haven't been around many of my colleagues. And in May, I went to some meetings and, uh, back in Florida, and I ran into some old friends, including one who's spoken here a lot, Dr. A.J. Swoboda, spoken here over the years, good friend of mine, we saw each other, and he said, hey, man, how have you been? <laughs> and I knew what he was asking or what he was saying. He was saying, hi. <laughs> and I said, actually, I haven't been great. I'm good right now, but things haven't been good. And before he could say, I actually wasn't asking, <laughs> I just shared really openly with him my journey and what I'd been changing and what I'd been learning about myself. At the end of all of it, he looked at me and he said, thank you so much for being honest with me as a friend. See, suffering has a way of making us honest, doesn't it? It makes us honest people. For the first time, what's real becomes really clear when we suffer. It's raw and it's honest and it's vulnerable and it hurts, but it's a gift. It's a gift. When we've endured, it makes us into the kind of people that we want to be. It shapes our character. In fact, if, if you look at the people you admire in your life, my guess is most of the ones you really admire deeply, they've been to hell and back. They've gone through it. And they're the kind of people that when they're facing a new reality of life, 
the one without gloss, the one that hasn't been edited, they're the ones that embrace it. They lean into it. They don't say, this too shall pass. They say, this too will shape me. It will shape me in my character. Endurance leads to character, and then character, Paul says, leads to hope. When you have endured, when you've had your character shaped, you begin to trust a reality that isn't today. You begin to trust a reality that is somewhere out in your future. You begin to believe in a reality that is not this moment. This thing that's in front of me, it may feel like a death, but there is a resurrection that is going to happen in the days ahead. That doesn't mean that the picture you had in your mind of your life will eventually come true, like it's all going to have a fairy tale ending. It simply means that we believe that we will be okay on the other side of this moment. That's what we believe. Paul says something really interesting about hope. Look at verse 5. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We will not be put to shame by hope. People will wonder about your hope, but you will not be put to shame because God's love has been poured into your heart. There'll be this undeniable understanding that God, no matter what I'm walking through right now, you love me. You love me in the middle of this. And your love for me gives me hope. I don't, I don't know all the ways that you've suffered. I know that you've suffered. How do I know that? Because you're human. If you're human, you've suffered. But our faith completely alters our suffering. You know, we had this really unusually wet spring. I heard so many people talk about how much they hate the rain this spring. Like people who have lived in Oregon all their lives suddenly were complaining about the rain this spring. Anybody else hear that? Anyone else hear that? a lot of that? It was like everybody. Casey, I heard a lot from you. I heard a lot of complaints about the rain from you. Tiffany, you too, California girl. I hear the people, what's up with the rain? People kept asking, what's up with the rain? The rain doesn't bother me so much. You know that? It doesn't really bother me. First of all, I like suffering, so that should tell you something. But, but because the, the rain is why people that visit here in the summer say things like, I've never seen a more beautiful place in the world, right? The rain is why people say, like, it's so green. I've never seen so many shades of green. Have you ever heard somebody say that to you before? I've never seen so many shades. The beauty follows the rain. This week, we were taking some time as a team, as a staff, to pray and worship together, and we sang this song that said, may we see as God sees. God sees the rain, doesn't he? And he sees what it produces. It reminded me of something that C.S. Lewis said about this, and I'll, I'll, I'll I'll close with this in just a moment. But C.S. Lewis said this about suffering. He said, the problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of a God who loves is only insoluble so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and look on things as if man were the center of them. Man is not the center. God does not exist for the sake of man. Man does not exist for his own sake. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. 
We were made not primarily that we may love God, though we were made for that too, but that God may love us, that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest well pleased. When you suffer, you will be shaped. You can become bitter or you can become better. You can shut down or you can open up. You can cling more tightly to your plans, your assumptions, or you can look forward to the future that God has for you. We can entertain a new tomorrow, and in that new tomorrow, you and I might actually be okay. Amen? In just a moment, Israel's going to come back up and lead us in communion, but before he comes, would you just pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your perspective. We thank you for the reality that you are with us. Knowing you're with us gives us endurance. And that endurance, getting through it, shapes character inside of us. And that character eventually means we have hope for things beyond the moment we're in. I pray that every one of us in this room would experience that today. In your name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Brad. Wasn't this word powerful? Wow. This morning I have the honor and the privilege to uh, lead you into communion. So if you please uh, take out your elements out of this little cup thing. If there's anyone who understands pain, if there's anyone who understands suffering, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But I love what Pastor Brad says that the difference between us and the world is that our faith and our trust and our hope is not based on the circumstances, but it's based on Jesus. It's based on the cross. And this morning, as you hold the, the bread in your hands, uh, this bread represents the, the body of Jesus Christ. His body was beaten, it was broken. He went through excruciating pain simply because he loves you. And I love also what Pastor Bob said in the very beginning. You and I need to understand that God loves you so much that he was willing to put his body through pain, through suffering, so that you and I could be made whole. So if you could take this little bread in your hand, and the word of God says that Jesus broke it. He gave thanks and he ate it. So can we go ahead and do that this morning? Wow. This cup, so if you can just turn your cup right side up. Man, this is fancy. You know, this cup represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. It represents a new covenant. It represents um, the fact that Jesus bled for you and for me. You know, Jesus suffered because he wanted to let us know this morning he understands what you're going through. He understands your pain. He understands, right, your brokenness. He understands me. 
And when I look at this cup, it gives me hope. When I look at this cup, even in the midst of my suffering, I can say, thank you, God. Even when I am suffering. So, Jesus said, do this and remember some me. So can we go ahead and just drink the cup? Amen. I will, uh, I would like you to ask you to stand. And uh, before has a tradition of a benediction. And Pastor Brad asked me to do the benediction in Latin. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, but I'm going to do it in Spanish, which is very close to Latin. Is that okay? And, and, and I want to do it from the bottom of my heart. So if you feel comfortable or not, would you just extend out your hands? Benediction just means a prayer, right, of blessing. Que el Señor te bendiga y te guarde. Que el Señor te mire con agrado y te extienda su amor. El Señor te muestre su favor y te conceda la paz. Que el Señor de esperanza te llene de gozo y de paz. In the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, Amen and amen. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming out this morning. Um, we hope to see you next week. If you're able to share this message to someone who needs it, please go ahead and do that. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you guys next week. Blessings. Blessings.